I need thee every hour. Open my eyes that I may see near to the heart of God. The theme, of course, this morning is quietness. The sermon series we're in is finding our rhythm, lining up with the heartbeat of God, learning to get in step with some spiritual discipline during the Lenten season that we can be quiet enough to discern and hear God's voice, not only individually, but as a congregation. In just a moment, I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19, a great lesson from Scripture about quietness, 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 12. And before I do, I invite us into a time of silence before I pray. Mighty God, we come to you walking the way of the cross, praying that in suffering and in tribulation and in fears that we might find what it means to obey you and to trust you. Our hearts are burdened this morning for those in our church family who are ill, those who are dealing with surgeries, those who are dealing with loneliness and divorce and uh, economic crises, personal problems, depression. We pray today for those in our church family who are incarcerated, far away from family. We pray for those in our church family who are serving in the armed forces, especially those in places of danger and conflict. We pray for our world that seems to be literally aflame for regions of the Middle East, for the unrest in the Ukraine, for all of the struggles in the world, we truly pray for peace. We ask God that you might work in our congregation, in our midst this morning, to ready our hearts, help us to learn to speak only after appropriate silence and reflection. Help us to recognize the work you've called us to, that we might engage in to that work patiently, prayerfully, and faithfully. Through Christ, Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. 1 Kings, chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. If you're able, would you stand as I read aloud from this scripture? Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there in his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. 
He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. You ever been around somebody who does all the talking and never listens? It's not very fun, and pretty soon you just sort of shut down. Have you ever thought about our relationship with God in those terms? We come to church and do all the talking. We talk about God, sermons about God, we pray to God, we sing about God, we make announcements about God, we do all the talking. In our own personal lives, we pray when we need something. We pray when we're in trouble. We do all the talking. We rarely stop to listen. And pretty soon, I think God gets the idea. He gets the point. We're not listening. As I prepared this uh, series of sermons, I was absolutely amazed at how many Bible passages talk about quietness and silence. Uh, We're not going to list all of them because it would just take too long, but I want to show you some Bible verses that talk about silence and being quiet before God. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 46, 10, many of us know, be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 7, 4, take heed, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Notice how Quietness and courage are coupled in many of these scriptures. Habakkuk 2.20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Zechariah 2.13, Be silent, all people, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. And then this one, When the Lamb, from Revelation 8.1, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Somebody said, silence in heaven, does that mean there are no Baptists in heaven? And then the person answered, oh, they're Baptists, there just aren't any preachers in heaven if there's silence there. Silence and quietness, being still. We know those commands are in Scripture, but it's so hard for us to be quiet, to be still. I started thinking about all the reasons why it's so difficult for us to be quiet. Uh, There are many. I would focus just on one. 
when we are quiet, when we are silent, we're not in control. When we're silent, we're not calling the shots. When we're silent, we realize that we're helpless, and none of us likes to be helpless. Helpless is the last thing that most of us want to uh, be, and helplessness is the last thing we want to experience. And speaking of helplessness, that leads us to our text, because Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, had been a part of this marvelous miracle where the true God, Yahweh, had shown up the false gods, Baal. And Elijah was feeling helpless because now Queen Jezebel had put a contract out on him and he was running for his life. And God provided for him. And by the way, boys and girls, June 15th, Vacation Bible Camp starts. And two days there are stories in Vacation Bible Camp about Elijah running frightened and how God provided for him. And we hope you'll be a part of Vacation Bible Camp. That, by the way, was just an embedded message, if you've not recognized what embedded advertising is. That's what that is. Elijah was frightened because Jezebel had put this contract out on him, and he was hiding in a cave. And I love, in verse 9, what God says to Elijah. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? That's a good question. What are you doing here? I'm asking you now. In church this morning, what are you doing with your life? Are you running from God? Are you running from others? What are you doing here? And it's a good question for our church as we enter a season of discernment about God's focus and direction for us. What are we doing here in this place? And Elijah's answer is very revealing. He's very human. James, the fifth chapter in the New Testament, says that he was a person of like passions like us, and we know that's true, because his answer is, Lord, I'm the only one left. Cue the violins. I'm the only one left. All the other Israelites have abandoned you, God. It's all up to me. I'm the only one. Now, there was in that statement a hint of complaining a sprinkle of self-pity, and a dash of self-righteousness. And we've all been there. I'm the only one, God. You know, I'm pulling more than my load. Nobody else is serving you like I am. And I think God decided, you know, Elijah, it's time you went to school. I have something I want to teach you. Elijah, you need to get weaned from the spectacular. Because he had just experienced the spectacular up north on Mount Carmel when those false gods had been defeated and the true God answered by fire. And, you know, it's easy to follow God when the spectacular's happening, but it's tough to trust in God when you're frightened and God seems nowhere around. So God says, Elijah, you have come to depend on the spectacular And you've started trusting my blessings more than you're trusting me. So you're going to go to school, and you're going to get weaned off of the pyrotechnics. You're going to get weaned off of the fireworks and the bombastic. You're going to learn to trust me. 
So God said, Elijah, go up to the mountaintop. And the scripture says that the wind passed by so strongly that it was splitting rocks. It was, it was busting up mountains. Now, it's interesting, parenthetically, that in both Bible languages, Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament, the word in those languages that is translated wind is also translated spirit. Ruach, Hebrew, Penuma, spirit or wind. So you could say the wind was passing by. Surely that's a sign that God's spirit is moving, but scripture says God wasn't in the wind. And then the scripture says that uh, there was an earthquake. Wow, you know, read the Psalms, the, the, the foundation shake. God is in his holy temple. God is doing something when the earthquake happens, but no, God wasn't in the earthquake either. And then Interestingly enough, after the earthquake, a fire. God had already answered by fire up on Mount Carmel. And Elijah thought, surely God's in the fire, but God wasn't in the fire. God was in the sound of sheer silence. God was in the still small voice, the King James says. In other translations... Uh, another translation re- reads, God was in the voice of a low whisper. And I like the message. God was in the gentle and quiet whisper. God's always speaking. We just have to get quiet enough to hear him. And sometimes God whispers. And when he whispers, we have to calm down enough and quiet down enough to hear God. In his book, Simplify, Bill Hybels says that a lot of people come up to him because he's written so many books and he pastors such a wonderful church. A lot of people come up to him and say, Bill, I just want to be closer to the Lord. And Bill Heibel says, I have a stock reply. I have a stock answer. How's your time with God? And they sort of blink and start stuttering around. And by that, he, he calls it your chair time. A time and a place. Beginning of the day, middle of the day, afternoon, late at night. Where you regularly meet God. He said, how's your time with God? You really want to be close to God? How's your time with God? Now, some of us call that daily devotions. Some of us call that our our daily uh, prayer time. Uh, Some faith traditions call it the daily office. Uh, I grew up uh, church camps and all those activities, hearing it called quiet time. How's your time with God, Hybels asked. Quiet time. I wonder how quiet our quiet time is when we're doing all the talking. And maybe read a verse or two. You know, sometimes I'm playing with my grandchildren. And usually when I'm playing with my grandchildren, 
there's lots of noise. It gets raucous. And occasionally when I'm playing with my grandchildren, one of you calls me on my cell phone. And when I hear your voice, I move away from the noise and I find a quiet place in the house because what you have to say to me is important. Because I respect you and I want to find a space where I can hear you. So I want to ask you, does God deserve any less than that? Do we need any less than that to move into the quiet so we can really hear God? See, here's my concern. I think without realizing it, some of us live our spiritual lives vicariously through other people. We may try to live our spiritual life vicariously through a spouse or a parent. You know, their relationship with God is what I channel. We may try to live our spiritual lives vicariously through a pastor or a favorite speaker or author. We may try to live our spiritual life vicariously through some role model, some mentor, some hero. But the truth is that God, through Jesus Christ, invites us to our own unique relationship with himself through Jesus. We're to carve out and to create that space for our relationship with God. We don't need a surrogate. We don't need a stand-in. In fact, that's one of the great Baptist principles. That's one of the great heritages that come to us out of the great Baptist fight for liberty, and that is that priesthood of all believers. There was a phrase that our forebears used a lot in the 1700s and 1800s, and it was, and on into the succeeding generations, it was called soul competency. It is the idea that each soul is competent to develop our own relationship with God. In fact, we're not only competent, but we are expected to have our own relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We are to each be still, be quiet enough to hear God speak and to foster and to nurture that ongoing relationship. Kathleen Norris writes a lot about spiritual disciplines. I didn't know this about her, but she used to teach art in the Dakotas, in North and South Dakota. And she tells about teaching, trying to teach elementary students art. She said they were rowdy, they were noisy, they were rambunctious, it was hard to keep their attention. And so she hit upon this exercise. She said, okay, boys and girls, we're going to have a period of time. I'm going to time you. You can be as loud as you want to be for X number of minutes and just make all the noise you want. And they did that. And then she said, and then we're going to follow with a time of quiet where you can't say anything. You just have to listen. And I'm going to time that. They did that exercise, all the noise they wanted to make, and then sheer quiet. And then she invited the children to write 
about noise and to write about silence. And she was absolutely amazed at the mature insights, the creative insights that elementary age children had about silence. One little girl said, Silence reminds me to take my soul with me wherever I go. Silence reminds me to take my soul with me wherever I go. The silence reminds us that we are spiritual beings, that it's not all about money and schedules and what other people think of us and deadlines and things. We are spiritual beings, and the silence reminds us to take our souls with us wherever we go. Over the last several years, you've heard me speak of the book by Peter Scazzaro, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church. From that book and from some other sources, I've cobbled together four questions I'd like for us to focus on before our quiet time, our one minute of silence this morning. And I want you to think deeply about these questions. Here's the first two. What if constant noise and talking are doing violence to my soul? You know, it's possible that our souls are being sucked dry by noise and talking. So what if, it's, what if those things are doing violence to my soul? Secondly, what if I have been neglecting my inner life? Ponder this. What if constant noise and talking are doing violence to my soul? What if I have been neglecting my inner life? I've been taking care of everything else and everybody else, but I've been neglecting my inner life. And then the next two. What if I started spending more time with God and trusted God to work out the rest of my schedule? What if I stopped whining about I don't have enough time and I just made time for quiet with God and see if God couldn't make up the difference and make it so I never missed that time I spent with him. What if I started spending more time with God and trusted God to work out the rest of my schedule? And then fourth, what if the world could go on without me, but I could not go on without God? And by the way, that's true. That's true. The world can get along just fine without us. But we can't get along without God. Quiet. Quietness. Because God whispers. I'd like for you to stand with me right now. The musicians will come. And you remember our spiritual discipline in public worship during this season of Lent, that in just a moment we're going to stand for uh, a moment and just bow our heads and ponder these questions and other questions for one solid minute, no music, no talking. And after that, the call to discipleship, the invitation to follow Christ. Would you bow your heads? And let's enter our minute of silence.
thank you, you may look this way. 